Friends, let us pray. Holy God, open our ears to your word this day, that we may seek you and follow you and be faithful to your call to us as disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning is from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Hear these words of the gospel. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there are times in the life of the church that it is apparent that, yes, your pastors are human, and so sometimes the timing of that is very last minute. And you will notice I am not John Wilkinson. Um, He is uh, unexpectedly under the weather. So this morning I share with you um, the words that he has written, the words that he would have shared with you had he been here, So um, we preachers often are quoting uh, from others who have very thoughtful things to say. So consider this one extended sermon quote. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So we will recite in a few moments the Apostles' Creed, one of the ancient faith statements of our tradition. Now, there are varying views of the creed. Some embrace it as it represents the common vocabulary of our tradition. Some don't embrace it or all of it because it does not reflect your own personal theological beliefs. Now, we included it today mindful of those perspectives, primarily primarily because it is the creed that the earliest church used at the time of baptism, which happened once a year on Easter Sunday. And today is a baptism Sunday. We have just baptized Ian Kenneth Baker. Now, Ian, you may remember, had a central role in the Boar's Head Festival just past. He was, in fact, baby Jesus. So there was some nervousness this morning, recognizing that we are baptizing the baby Jesus. (laughs) And if you look at the Apostles' Creed and do a word count, you will note that most of the creed is spent on Jesus. 
God the Father, one sentence. God the Holy Spirit, one sentence, with other doctrinal matters following. Then look at how much time and energy is invested in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, and so on. But note also, in all that is included, what is not. Born of the Virgin Mary, comma, suffered under Pontius Pilate. The council that composed the Apostles' Creed was addressing the theological controversies of the moment, much of which swirled around the divinity of Christ. But that means his earthly ministry, which we take very seriously and which inspires us a great deal, is left to a comma, a punctuation mark. We've remedied that over the centuries with other statements of faith, but still, you get the point. The point was made again just a few weeks ago when the very same Ian Kenneth, who we baptized this morning, starred in the aforementioned Boar's Head Festival. Now, John's role was king number two. Frankincense to offer head I, he sang, as he sang one stanza of We Three Kings. And he said he hoped to remember the words and not in any other way embarrass himself or his family. And then the three kings turned and presented their gifts to the Christ child and following a choral anthem, kneeled with the entire cast in front of the Holy Family. So even with the theatricality and hopes that knees, all knees, would hold up, It is always a powerful and profound moment. Here is the congregation kneeling before a representation of that punctuation mark. The word made flesh, as if this child, this vulnerable, at risk, all too human being, has great power, has great authority. Yet he does. Call it mystery, call it paradox, But we believe that the one who rose again from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, is also the one who will, like all of us, laugh and cry, eat and drink, bleed and die. It is easy to kneel in front of that divine Jesus, yet we are called equally to kneel in word and in deed in front of this human Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh. It's striking at boar's head, but it should capture us all the time as we consider how extraordinary it is that God comes to us in that way and what it means to say that this Jesus has authority for us. What does it mean that we give incarnation authority? What does it mean that we give anything authority? We placed on the bulletin cover an image from an earlier era. Question authority, it says. Some of you will remember the genesis of that button, Vietnam, 
Watergate. The moments and the spirit captured so well in the movie, The Post. Question authority? So to say that Jesus has authority feels audacious and countercultural and risky because to say that means to say that other things or people or forces do not have authority, which is also audacious and countercultural and risky. But say it we do, imperfectly and incompletely, that not only do we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, but that we kneel before him, literally, rarely, and symbolically, frequently. Kneel before the one who is weak and vulnerable and very human, God incarnate. What does that mean? Our gospel lesson from Mark gives us a clue. Jesus enters the synagogue to teach. The crowd was astounded. We know what that looks like. The teacher, or a coach, or a politician, or even a preacher who grabs the crowd or the congregation and astounds them. Mark tells us that he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This is funny, that scribe business. So many empty words spoken by so many so-called authorities. Jesus was different. Then a man in the synagogue acts up, a man with an unclean spirit. We don't know exactly what that meant, that unclean spirit, perhaps a psychosis of some kind, or a form of disruptive behavior. He cried out, and Jesus tells him to be silent. And he is, and the unclean spirit leaves him. Again, the crowd is amazed. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Authority to teach, authority to heal, authority to break down barriers, authority to include, authority to confront authority. If he has authority, this is what it looks like in human form, and our calling is to listen, to follow, to emulate, to model, to make incarnate in our lives this incarnation, to kneel down when appropriate, but also to stand up, to speak out. Jesus, this Jesus in human flesh and blood form has authority. That is an affirmation from our tradition that we restate now because it is important. It is important on its own terms, but it is important for other reasons. There are implications to incarnation. If incarnation has authority because of who Jesus is, if God came to us in fully human form, that means we must take incarnation seriously 
as we encounter every human who is not Jesus. All of them, all of us, created in the image of God. We do not kneel before other humans, of course. One God is enough. But we engage them as if they were Jesus. And that means at least two things. It means we take our own incarnation seriously. When we look in the mirror, we are called to remind ourselves of our inherent God-given value. We matter. You matter. This is important to affirm in this hashtag MeToo moment, in this bullying culture. You matter, regardless of age or weight, color or gender, mental health or physical health, patriots or eagles. You matter because you are an illustration of incarnation. Tell yourself that every day and let no one tell you otherwise. This is a theological truth that because God came to us in human form, because God looked like us, we matter. Believe it and believe it especially when it is most difficult to believe. When you are facing all those things, all those forces that make belief so difficult, remember, you matter. And because you matter, then others matter as well, just as much, no more, but no less. It has to be that way. Believe it and believe it, especially because right now, our world is making it so hard to believe. Toxicity, divisiveness, political and cultural and even religious. Now John said he was sitting in a hotel lobby a few weeks ago and two men, conservatives apparently, were speaking about liberals in such derisive terms as if they were from another planet. Although they probably would talk about people from another planet with more civility and respect. And it's not just conservative to liberal. It flows the other way, too. And in fact, the harmfulness flows in all directions. As it continues, our cultural and moral fabric decays. It is not good civics, and it is not good theology. How does incarnation matter? Here, as we look at the other, the stranger, the same way we would look at Jesus. As always, the Bible gives us a clue. Paul wrote to the conflicted congregation in Corinth, and the nature of the division was food, but not really. Paul knew there were no idols, so anyone sacrificing food to idols was sacrificing to an illusion. But not everyone in the community understood that. Many different beliefs and experiences as this new church was being born. 
Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Paul was saying to those who knew to let love trump knowledge. That is, let sensitivity to the other trump what you knew to be true. Honor the other. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. If food is a cause of their falling, I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fall. What Paul is saying, Rick Morley writes, is that while the meat is technically okay to eat, if it hurts the faith of other people, if it damages the spiritual health of other members of the body, then Christians have a duty to forego the meat and help out their brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christian community, there can be meat eaters and non-meat eaters. But when those practices divide, love and not correct belief takes center stage. Meat is the example then, and often scholars use alcohol consumption as the example now how those who may drink are sensitive to those who do not. But it goes deeper than that. It means there can be no others in the church. It means we do all we can to resist the strong forces in our culture, to otherize the other, to reduce those who are different than us, who believe differently, to something less than the fully God-created people they are. It is such a slippery slope to vilify and demonize and dehumanize, particularly in this toxic environment. But whether in church or culture, we who kneel before love incarnate, we who take baptism seriously, can't give in to that temptation. Does that mean we don't protest or resist or hold strong opinions strongly? Heavens, no. But it does mean that how we protest and resist matters. That how we question any authority but Jesus will reflect what we believe about Jesus. We can't become what we criticize. We can't succumb to that temptation, or we become what Paul calls a stumbling block. And true human community will not happen. This is what we seek, authority, exercised in community because of incarnation. An ethic of incarnation. We look in the mirror, and see Jesus. We look at the other and see Jesus. And we live accordingly. And when we do, life in the church will be blessed. 
When we do, public life will be transformed. For us, it begins with a tiny baby before whom we kneel, and it ends at the cross with that same baby grown to be a man, God incarnate, who will die, truly die, because he is willing to place his authority in service to the community, who is willing to define his authority by love. No question about it. Amen.